electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Melissa Banks. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans. Great to be back with you. Two negative COVID tests last week. Who else could say that? Uh, We're down again today for the fifth time in six sessions. And yes, the Omicron spread is hurting sentiment. But we'll look at some other factors also adding to the selling pressure, like the Build Back Better roadblock. Senator Joe Manchin opposing it will tell you what that means for GDP and the GOP. And have you seen the lines for COVID tests? Good luck trying to get an at-home testing kit. I've got people at CVS at 7 a.m. tracking batches and ordering anything they can find online. We'll tell you which stocks actually benefit from this surge in demand. But first, let's get to the numbers. Christina Partsinevelis is here to run us through that today. Oh, Kelly, you just listed several triggers, and I have to even add my parents are stuck at the airport because they haven't received their test results. But let's talk about the markets, the fact that the Dow, S&P 500, NASDAQ are all just almost hitting about 2% lower today. The Dow, early in the day, fell through its 200-day moving day average, which are a moving average level, which is a 34 1,620, so you can see slightly off of that, holding a touch higher. A key level for the S&P 500, 4,607. That was the 50-day moving average. We did touch lower than that. NASDAQ as well. We can see uh, NASDAQ now hovering at 14,875. All 11 sectors are in the red. You've got financials, materials, industrials, consumer discretionary, energy, all over 2% lower. And with the surge in COVID cases this time around, we're seeing less of a rotation into big cap and uh, those stay-at-home technology or stay-at-home companies like Teladoc and Peloton. I know Mike's going to be coming up to talk about that. But there are a lot of notes out there about overvaluation, especially in software. And let's get defensive. You've got consumer staples throwing some healthcare in there. There's some companies like Clorox and Kimberly Clark getting a boost from Omicron concerns. I know I just added some Cloroxes uh, on my desk. And even crypto not spared. Bitcoin hitting a low of 45610 just earlier. Now you're seeing it at $46,144. Still up over 55% year to date. 58% actually on pace for the third straight positive year. Well, Ether, on with that, Ether, a positive note, up uh, over 400% year to date. Kelly, back over to you. All right, Christina, thank you, and good luck to those parents of yours. they're stuck. So frustrating. Everyone's dealing with it. Let's turn to Michael Santoli now. He's got the breakdown on this breakdown in psychology. Really breakdown in the markets. Maybe it's a little bit of both, Michael. Yeah, they're absolutely linked, Kelly. Um, You know, it's been a very recent turn in the last few weeks toward traditional defensive sectors, not just those things that are somewhat independent of uh, of the macro economy like big cap tech, but the old school uh, defensives like healthcare and uh, and staples. And those are the outperformers here on a month-to-day basis, unlike the NASDAQ 100 right here down 4%, which previously, when we had concerns about reopening, we had concerns about consumer sentiment, uh, that was the beneficiary because they're big quality companies, but they just are in a valuation compression going on right now. And the XRT is retail, and that has really been suffering for a while. Now, on a longer-term basis, this isn't necessarily something you would look at and say, this is now a title shift, the market is in defense mode, and therefore we have to, you know, kind of 
upend everything that led the way uh, to a 20% gain so far this year in the S&P 500. But I do think it is somewhat notable. One final point is another uh, flow that we're seeing in the last month or so is from crowded positions, those very, very popular trades, big growth stocks and others, toward less crowded or neglected areas. Consumer staples would absolutely qualify as one of the more neglected areas. So that could mean this is just kind of a little bit of a, of a stutter step in this move, a little bounce in uh, consumer staples on a relative basis. We'll see if it uh, has any legs to it, guys. You know, Mike, one thing I think you could sort of communicate well is explaining the fact that we've not had the 10-year yield surge, but we've still seen high valuation stocks collapse. So what's the linkage between the two? And for people who are figuring out whether they want exposure to things like ARK-K, if you want to call it that, as yeah. this variant spreads, what would you tell them? Well, the first thing I would say is that linkage between yields and hyper-growth over highly valued stocks was always a fairly tenuous one. It was really kind of circumstantial evidence as opposed to causal evidence. If there is a driver uh, in terms of the discount rate being lower or people looking uh, for beneficiaries of negative inflation-adjusted yields, to me, it's the huge fang-like companies that have very predictable longer-term earning streams that you're discounting back at a lower rate. That makes sense to me, and they have outperformed. The high-growth areas, to me, I think it's a lot of the psychology of people get bracing for a lower liquidity environment, whatever that might mean to them, with fiscal and monetary tightening coming and maybe short, uh, short yields are going higher, as you mentioned recently, that signifies that maybe that's uh, one of those markers of, okay, it's time to maybe uh, you know set aside childish things if that's where you want to yeah. uh, believe it. I, I do think that's the case. But also, those things peaked in January and February. No, nothing was going on with yields to drive that when they, when they did peak back then. Exactly, exactly. And there's the market again, just can't get out of its own way here. Mike, thank you so much. We really appreciate yeah. it. Michael Santoli. Both of my next guests think the sell-off is a buying opportunity. One's thinking stay more defensive. The other wants to take a chance on some beaten down crypto names. Let's welcome in Jay Pastricelli. He's the CEO and portfolio manager at Zega Financial. And Matt Maley is chief market strategist at Miller Tayback & Co. So Jay, where do you stand? Welcome, guys. Yeah, hi, Kelly. Great to be here. Today is another one of those typical COVID risk-off days, right? You're seeing the Russell get beat up. You're seeing a flight to safety, keeping rates down, although they've had a little bounce back in the last uh, hour or so. But, you know, when you take a look at the market in general here, you know, the main risk that we're still concerned about is the Fed raising rates faster than they have to. Yes, these COVID sell-offs are going to come, and we do look at them as buying opportunities. All right. So which one are you doing, though? You're buying defensive? You're buying a crypto names? I'm, I'm, I'm guessing they're talking about you because I see Coinbase, Procter & Gamble, and Charles Schwab on your list. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're willing to dip your toe into the crypto space a little bit, it's had a sell off, obviously, more than just a regular correction. But this is not atypical for this. This kind of uh, asset class will do this from time to time where you get the 30, 40 percent sell off. So, you know, pick your bottoms when you're looking at things like a Coinbase. But for us, you know, we are more about being hedged in the market, right? So even when you're picking individual names like Coinbase or Procter & Gamble or Schwab, we still think you should have a hedge in your portfolios because days like this will remind you that markets don't always just go up. All right, Matt, that means you're staying a little defensive here? Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the things we have with this, you know, new change with the, the Federal Reserves in their policy uh, is they're becoming, uh, you know, they're... they're you know, they had given this massive levels of, of stimulus, emergency levels of stimulus that stayed with us long past the emergency had kind of pulled, uh, had, had, had faded. And uh, now that they're pulling back from this, uh, that means people have to, uh, you know, 
you know, recalculate how much risk they want to have in the marketplace, or even more importantly, how much leverage they have in the marketplace. And that thing, to me, tells me we, we want to be more defensive. Uh, I really like moving in some of these consumer staples that you guys have been talking about. Uh, there are some places we, where you can play uh, on, uh, in the technology sector, but we just need to be more careful than we have been. Yeah. And I just think... Go ahead, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, you know, I hate these days, especially with the Zoom. I never want to cut you off. Kellogg and AT&T are names that you're interested in here? Well, it's interesting because Kellogg's is a consumer staples names that you know, some of the ones that have done very well, like uh, Colgate and Clorox recently, are steady, starting to get a little expensive. Kellogg's, on the other hand, uh, it still trades at 15 times forward earnings, so it's a nice discount to the uh, market multiple. And it plays a nice solid dividend of 3.6%. Uh, you also have... Uh, uh, AT&T, which is finally getting some uh, some bullish comments, upgraded by both Morgan Stanley and UBS recently. Even Jim Carrey, ta uh, 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 Jim's talking about it recently. I said Jim Carrey. I'm sorry, Jim Cramer, <laughs> <laughs> talking about uh, bullishly about the stock has an over eight percent uh, dividend yield, and uh, they're paying down all this debt. It's been it's been dead money for the longest period of time. This is a great opportunity, I think, to, to buy the name. And uh, I do think we want to be looking at tonight, though, when Micron reports. That could be very important to how how the micro uh, how the uh, stock market does the rest of this week. I was just looking at that in your note, saying they've been stuck in a sideways range over the past month between kind of eighty and eighty eight. So definitely something for our viewers to watch, uh, whether or not it's a bellwether for the whole market. Right now, anything could be, right, Jay? So uh, you mentioned that you still think the Fed needs to kind of catch up and tighten more. Do you think any of that's out the window, given what's happened with Omicron? And from Senator Manchin, I mean, when Goldman says the first quarter GDP is only going to be 2 percent now, is the Fed still going to be as aggressive? Yeah, when, well, you talk about GDP, you have to talk about earnings. And the market continues to surprise, at least companies continue to surprise and exceed analysts' earnings estimates. And so we're in that environment where low rates and strong corporate earnings are really pushing people more, investors more, into the stock market, right? And so for us, when we when we consider what the Fed has in front of them, potential of, we didn't even talk about inflation so yet. So when you, you think about all of those things that are ahead of it, it's got to be a little bit more on the, they've got to be more on the aggressive side, but there's still no better place to go. The challenge for the average investor that's working through their 60-40 portfolio bonds end up being very difficult to invest in, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to look for an alternative there. For us, we like to invest in the broad market, generally speaking, using the S&P, U.S. large caps, but in a way that's protected and hedged. And if you could limit your downside risk to 8 to 10 percent, that ends up being a real strong proposition of why you continue to put money into equities. All right, Matt, final word to you. I know you watch these levels quite closely. NASDAQ's down 7.5 percent from its intraday high last month. Would you be a buyer yet? Not yet. I think that you know, anything can happen over the very near term, but I just think that we're in this process of de-risking de uh, people's portfolios. And uh, therefore, you know, even though earnings have been strong, the stock market has been strong as well, so ha earnings haven't been able to really catch up. So I think people, if they raise a little bit of cash, I'm not saying go to 25% cash or anything, but if you raise a little bit of cash, if we do get that 10% uh, pullback, you'll be the one who's not selling at the absolute wrong times. You'll, you'll be the one buying at the right time. And uh, if you have that uh, you know, kind of the, that money set aside in advance, uh, you're going to be able to keep your head while your others around you are losing theirs. And that's where you really get the best opportunities. What was it? Was that the Rudyard Kipling? And that will make you a man, my friend, something to that extent. Jay Petricelli, Matt Maley, thank you both very much for this discussion today. 
Still ahead, as Omicron surges, we look at the stock's best position to benefit from a surge in testing. This name is up nearly 25% this week. We'll reveal it next. Plus, did Senator Joe Manchin just deal the fatal blow to the president's Build Back Better plan? We'll look at whether there's still a way forward and the potential fallout economically, if not. As we head to break, a look at the Dow heat map. Most of the names are in the red right uh, now, but Procter & Gamble is one of the names in the green. Walmart just in that territory now as well. Caterpillar, Goldman, those are your big decliners today. We're back in a moment. This is The Exchange on CNBC. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back, everybody. Despite what's going on in markets today, we've actually had some good news from Moderna on the booster shot and the level of protection it offers against Omicron. Moderna shares were up earlier on the news. They've given up those gains. Uh, Meg Terrell is here now with the latest on that and everything else going on. Hi, Meg. Hey, Kelly. Well, Moderna's update essentially was going along the themes we've seen so far. Two doses don't appear to provide great protection, at least when it comes to neutralizing antibodies against Omicron. But adding in a booster dose really does increase that antibody protection level. Uh, the half dose, they found, increased it by 37-fold, uh, whereas a full dose is 83-fold higher. Uh, right now, it's the half dose, of course, that's cleared as the booster for everybody. It doesn't sound like that necessarily will change. Uh, meanwhile, Moderna says it is still continuing to develop that Omicron-specific vaccine in case it's needed, planning to start human testing for that in early 2022. This, of course, as we are going through a surge right now, uh, seeing case numbers across the country topping 130,000 every day, hospitalizations also on the rise approaching 70,000 and deaths approaching 1,300 per day. Uh, the areas of the country facing the highest infection rates, although you can see a lot of red on that map right now, are the Northeast uh, and the Midwest. Of course, this is a mixture of Delta and Omicron at the moment. And we are waiting to get more national figures on Omicron's prevalence from the CDC, most likely tomorrow. But as of now, we've been hearing from regions about what their testing is showing. Houston Methodist over the weekend saying 82% of new symptomatic cases they're seeing are Omicron. In Connecticut, sequencing showing it was 40% level on Friday, but on pace to exceed 50% within a few days. This, of course, Kelly, as a lot of folks are seeking out testing right now, we've seen the lines in New York City they wrap around blocks. Uh, in terms of PCR testing, the levels that the CDC is reporting are really sort of on par with what we were seeing over the summer, but we know a lot of rapid testing is going on. Millions of tests probably not going into that reporting system. And of course, a lot of these tests becoming exceedingly hard to find. 
Kelly. And very interesting, perhaps, as a bellwether, the NFL dropping its testing except for unvaccinated players as they're basically you know, facing they have games tonight. We've had games every day now. They're spreading this out, trying to kind of keep their schedule going. My question about the antibodies, Meg, for what Moderna told us is if the third uh, shot provides the antibodies, but this, the first two still provide the protection. So what's the difference? Yeah, so there is thought that two doses of the mRNA vaccine still provide protection against severe disease. We don't know exactly to what extent, um, but we know that um, vaccines provide protection through more things than just antibodies, um, T cells, for example. So those are expected to still be able to recognize Omicron, and they may not be there to be able to say, okay, you can't infect me at all, but they are going to keep you from getting so sick you get hospitalized. And so that is still really encouraging, but by boosting up the neutralizing antibodies, that's kind of your front line defense to try to stave off uh, the ability to get infected. Although we do still see people who are vaccinated and boosted getting infected with Omicron too. So yeah. it's a powerful one. No, that's still, that's very helpful, Meg. Thank you. I appreciate the explanation. Meg Terrell's all over it for us. Um, we appreciate it. Now, the higher demand in testing is leading possibly to some higher stock prices for some of the biggest test makers. Let's talk to Jared Holtz about this. He's a healthcare equity strategist at Oppenheimer. Jared, we teased this chart uh, into the break earlier, but QDEL is one of the names when people want to you know, play a surge in testing demand. That would be one way to play it. How are they doing? Kelly, hey, how are you? It's been a great stock over the past week. Um, you know, I've highlighted it several times in um, various communication with investors as being one of the purest um, or most logical ways to, to play what's happening, which is an insane amount of testing. Um, everyone seems incredibly concerned, right or wrong, about Omicron. And the lines are, you know, incredibly long at so many of these centers. I mean, I can really only talk for what's happening in the Northeast. But if that's indicative of what's happening everywhere else, this is one of the best ways to play it. Now, the company makes a rapid test um, for at-home use. So you can find these at CVS or Walgreens, et cetera, if you can find them. And we just feel like the interest in these in these tests from a get back to school, from a travel standpoint, from any communication standpoint, um, even meeting a friend at a coffee shop, uh, these tests are going to be used in a big way from now until the foreseeable future. Have they gotten more effective, the at-home tests? Well, the efficacy hasn't really changed much. This is the same test that's been really available for months um, through the pandemic. But, you know, as we know, um, with these other variants that are happening and the time of year right around the holidays when people want to see friends and family, um, the, you know, the rise of cases and the rise of infections are leading to more interest in these rapid tests. And I think they're, they're good enough to catch the vast majority of Omicron cases as well. And so this is to me, one of the most logical ways to play the pandemic at this point. You also said keep an eye on Perigo because of coughs and colds. Is that right? That's right. Like if Omicron is truly doing what most clinicians say it's doing, which is causing a mild to moderate um, cold or flu-like symptom for the average patient who's getting it that actually has symptoms. Again, this is not a huge number, but it is in, in totality when we look at, um, you know, the sheer number of people who are getting it. Perigo should benefit. This is an over-the-counter medicine company, a lot of cold and cough products. J&J also has an element of its business, Abbott, et cetera. There are a lot of companies, but Perigo, given where the stock is trading, looked very, very interesting to play this trend. All right. And it's still down about one and a half percent today, but coming up off about a three percent up week, which is something in this environment. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. Jared, thanks so much. It's good to check in with you today. 
Thanks, Kelly. Jared Holtz of Oppenheimer. Coming up, COVID outbreaks are wreaking havoc on the sports world, and that has some other stocks. What's the opposite of benefiting? Being hurt uh, that we can tell you about. It's down 20% in the past month. We'll tell you the name and what the leagues are doing to try to move their seasons forward. Also, Nike is on deck with earnings after the bell. Shares are down about 3% today and down 10 or 11% over the past month. We'll tell you the key things to look for in the report. That's next. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Welcome back, everybody. Dow is down almost 700 points at the lows. We're down a little more than 600 right now. Pretty even for the Dow, the S&P, and the Nasdaq, all down about 1.7, 1.8%. In terms of the movers, we're watching the financials, which were hit hard, especially earlier as yields fell. But yields are trying to find their footing somewhat. Ten years around 1.4%. You can see a name like Regions is down 3.5%. Meanwhile, the home builder stocks, those are also declining today. Uh, after the XH, uh, XHB ETF is down 7% in the past week, home builders are having their worst week since October of 2020. Nothing much macro to read into it here, I guess. I don't know. They've had a great run. And the EV names are falling as the Build Back Better bill, which was going to allocate millions towards incentives, appears to be dead, at least for now. Lordstown, Nikola, Rivian, Tesla, all significantly lower. Other than Tesla, we're talking about 8% declines. Tesla's down more than 3%. And the worst performer on the Nasdaq right now is Peloton. As its decline continues, it's down nearly 9% again today. You might think for a stay-at-home kind of feel in the market, it'd get a benefit. Nope, it is down 61% in three months. In the green, we do have P&G, Clorox, Pfizer, and actually the cruise stocks today. Yeah. Let's go to Frank Holland now for a CNBC News update. Frank? Hey there, Kelly. Here's the very latest at this hour. Senator Joe Manson is concerned that some parents will use their child tax credit checks to buy drugs. NBC News reports that's what the senator from West Virginia has privately told his fellow Democrats in recent months. Over the weekend, Manson stunned the White House by pulling the plug on negotiations over President Biden's Build Back Better bill. Among many provisions that Manson doesn't like is the one-year extension of the child tax credit payments. And Maryland Governor Larry Hogan has tested positive for COVID. It was detected by a routine rapid test Results from a follow-up PCR test, there aren't in yet. Hogan has received three COVID vaccine shots. He says he's feeling fine at the moment and urged everyone to get vaccinated or get a booster if they haven't done so already. And the mayor of Washington, D.C. is reinstating an indoor mask mandate. It will be in effect throughout the end of January. D.C. government employees and their contractors need to be fully vaccinated and get a booster. Tonight on the news, why some families have to choose between buying food or diapers what's being done to help them. That's 7 p.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. Kelly, back over to you. Awful. Frank, thank you. Coming up, crypto slides, a mixed bag for the airlines, and solar is getting crushed today. The TAN ETF on pace for its worst day since July. We're going to look at why right after this. 
Welcome back, everybody. A lot of ground to cover in today's sell-off. So let's get right to it with declines of nearly 2% for all the major averages. Uh, Pippa Stevens is going to cover the hard-hit energy stocks for us. Phil Lebeau is watching the airlines and how they're reacting to Omicron. And Bitcoin may be below 47 k but it's still been a big year. Kate Rooney is going to look at that for us as well. Pippa, solar especially here. Kick things off for us. Hey, Kelly. Yeah, let's start here with oil. Posting its worst day of the month, the WTI falling more than 6% at the low of the day. Now, much like the sell-off we're seeing across the board, this is all about Omicron. Oil is so sensitive to demand, so fears over new restrictions and potential lockdowns are weighing. Again, Capital's John Kildoff noting that voluntary travel cancellations and companies pushing their return to office plans not boding well for demand. Rebecca Babin at CIBC Private Wealth adding that crude's been on a sentiment roller coaster flying high in November when inventories were running short, but now in a full-blown panic over possible lockdowns. Thin trading around the holidays also leaves the market exposed to outsized moves. Now, energy stocks are taking a hit on oil's decline in addition to fears of stalled economic growth. The sector is down 2% today, with exploration and production companies hit the hardest. Occidental, Diamondback, and Devon leading the declines. And things are looking even worse on the renewable energy front. The Invesco Solar Fund down more than 6% today, putting it on track for its worst day since March. Solar Edge, First Solar, Sonova, and Sunrun all down sharply. The Build Back Better plan outlined hundreds of billions of dollars for green projects. So its uncertain future, Kelly, is really weighing on these stocks today. Yeah, it's, you know, it always feels like one should be down. You know, old old energy can be down, but new energy can be up. They're all, it's all down. Any, any green out there, Pippa, that you're seeing? I mean, it's just sentiment is really bad right now across the board. And then if you have a sell-off in the major averages, areas of the market that are a little bit riskier, like green energy, are going to be hit especially hard. So just a lot of unknowns here. You know, they're still up bigger over the last few years. So investors taking some profits, uh, but they've been sliding for a while here now. So it really begs the question of at what point will people return to the space? Right. Absolutely. I'm sure they're wondering. You just have to flip the calendar or just get a few more percentage declines. Pippa, thanks. We appreciate it. Let's turn to Phil LaBelle. Phil, you could almost say the airlines are outperforming today. Almost. Yeah, it's been a choppy session, but we have seen at times some of the airline stocks actually in the green. And here's what we're seeing relative to the Omicron impact. I think a lot of people thought, here we go again, the airlines are going to sell off big time. Really hasn't happened, in part because you've got domestic travel, which remains strong. Look, the weekend passenger levels down just 13% compared to 2019. Yes, international bookings are easing a bit. But when you look at where they are relative to 2019, they're only down 40 to 50%. I say only because, remember, there was a time when they were down 65, 76. 75%. And while we have seen greater lockdowns, and we're showing you the, the international related uh, air carriers, we're talking about American, Delta, United, JetBlue also has sh- uh, flights into uh, the UK. Look, we haven't seen the kind of lockdowns that many people thought we might with this variant, at least not yet in Europe. So bookings, while they are softening a bit, they're still holding up. In terms of the domestic carriers, those who are primarily here in North America, They're also being hit today in part because there is a concern that, look, will fewer people be flying, et cetera. We haven't seen that so far. In fact, if you look at the data in terms of bookings right now, Kelly, it's holding up relatively well. I'm sure there are stories. I've heard stories, anecdotes from people saying, look, we were supposed to go someplace tested positive or somebody didn't want us to come there because they they might be positive. I'm sure that is going on, but we are not seeing the widespread pullback that we've seen 
in previous waves of COVID-19. Well, there's been some other whiplash in the space from the CEO saying maybe we don't need the masks. Then I think the Southwest CEO himself got COVID. Then I thought I saw Fauci yeah. yesterday saying he doesn't see how we could ever not be wearing masks on an airplane. I think the mask thing is overdone, Kelly. I really do. I think that it, it is what it is in terms of air travel right now. And I think that most people, while there may be some confusion, and yes, there will be some people who are not happy about it and they will voice their displeasure. I think to a certain extent, people have said it is what it is and it is here for at least through March. And don't be surprised if it gets extended beyond that. In other words, expect to be masked up on planes for some time. Correct. Yeah. I, I, well, look, we know that it's here through through March. The White House has the ultimate call on this. I wouldn't be surprised, given what we're seeing with this variant that is, you know, rising, cases are rising, that you see it extended a little bit further. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. I think we're going to be doing it for a lot longer. I mean, my son was three and a half, Phil. And the other day I thought to myself, I might still be t- we're still going to be dealing with COVID when he starts kindergarten. I have a feeling. Oh, not good. Unfortunately, it is the, the times we're in. Yeah, exactly. Phil, we'll leave it there. Thank you, sir. Always appreciate it. Our Phil LeBeau. You bet. Let's get to Bitcoin now, which is on pace for its third positive year in a row, even with everything that's been going on lately. Kate Rooney here with the latest. Kate? Hey, Cal. Yeah, all things considered, it's been a pretty solid year for Bitcoin's performance and especially good for some of those smaller cryptocurrencies. Let's start with Bitcoin, though. It's up about 60%. Since January, it kicked off this year around $30,000. Today, it's closer to $46,000 with some wild swings in between. The high was near $67,000 back in November. Bitcoin did lose its grip on market share as well this year. It dropped from roughly 70% of the total crypto market to closer to 40% more recently. And this happened as more money flowed into coins like Ether. That's the second largest cryptocurrency and a boom in NFTs with more developer activity in some of these other coins, you also had some of the speculative names like Dogecoin. Who can forget that? Ether, meanwhile, is up more than 400% this year in some of the smaller tokens. Like Solana, for example, take a look. That one is up, wow, more than 11,000% so far this year. The total cryptocurrency market cap. So that includes those thousands of other coins out there. In addition to Bitcoin, tripled to $1.5 trillion in value. And what point? In the year, it was closer to $3 trillion. But for individual investors, Kelly, really, it depends on where you bought in. According to data from Glassnode, about 25% of all Bitcoin supply was bought above the price where it's trading today. So in other words, one in four Bitcoin right now is underwater. Glassnode analysts say relatively flat activity in the past two weeks suggests, quote, investor interest is reaching an exhaustion point at current prices. Kelly. Do they ever analyze, Kate, what that number needs to get to in order to find a bottom? In other words, do you have to flush out all the people who are underwater? So the the number that was out there is $53,000. So that was the current cost basis, at least uh, as of last week, that it really needed to climb above to sort of test that resistance level. There's other levels that folks are looking for in the $50,000 range, but that tends to be key. And uh, a lot of investors, newer investors especially, that bought in around November really are underwater. So that seems to be most of the selling going on. But like Glassnode points out, a little bit of exhaustion here. If people have sold, they probably are waiting on the on the sidelines, at least when it comes to Bitcoin, to see where we are in January. There's also, also things like uh, tax selling 
that may be adding to some of the weakness here. Absolutely. Kate, thank you as always for following it all. Kate Rooney for Crypto. Up next, Nike after the bell and a divergence in the home stocks with DIY versus decor. We'll dig into discretionary next. Welcome back, everybody. Consumer discretionary has been a tough sector over the past month. Despite it being holiday shopping season, it's down 10%, making it the worst performer in the S&P. Nike is the fourth largest component. It reports this afternoon, and it's had a bumpy ride this year with a 10% drop from the 52-week highs. Still at 11% since January, though. Uh, P.E., still 42. Joining me now with what he expects this evening, Brian Nagel is an analyst at Oppenheimer. Brian, it's great to have you. This was the quarter they first warned us about they'd experience a lot of Vietnam interruptions. Is that right? That, no, that's correct. But look, I think, you know, and I think the real key point here, we'll see, obviously, after the close time when Nike reports, but, you know, Nike is a very well-run uh, company and they communicate, I think, very well with investors. So they were, uh, Nike was one of the first companies to really call out these significant supply chain issues, in particular, like you said, Kelly, uh, the, the manufacturing issues in Vietnam. I mean, my sense as I'm going into this report, as my team and I are preparing for this report, I very much think there will be a better tone from Nike with regard to manufacturing, and that you know, all all else considered, that should be a that should be a positive. What about Omicron? Because when I'm out and about these days, the number of small businesses who cannot open are closing early. They don't have staff. They're saying be patient. You know, the labor shortages are getting more and more problematic here. What is the status with a place like Vietnam? You know, I, it's a it's a great question. I don't have a great answer. I mean, you know, I, I get a lot of this information from our companies that do have you know people on the ground or at least in contact over there. I've heard what I've heard lately, you know, from companies like Nike and others, is that the, the manufacturing uh, process and, and the manufacturing facilities in in Vietnam are are, are, are in much better shape than they were uh, a few months ago. Now, obviously, that could be changing. We're in a very fluid environment right now with this this latest this latest variant. But it still seems to me. That from a manufacturing standpoint, things are better overseas than they were they were a few months ago. And final question, then, as they report their results, is profit, you know, is profitability or their profit margins expected to be a key focus here where maybe they're constrained by inventory, but they're selling more at higher prices? Is Nike an example of that trend or are they not so much, you know, do they not have as much operating leverage? No, that's that's absolutely a trend here. Look, I've seen that throughout my coverage. You know what? It's almost like a silver lining. With the, these all the, all these supply chain constraints that we we witnessed, is that there's just not as much product in the system. There's not as much product here. So a result of that is there's been a lot less promotional activity. So really well-run companies like Nike and among others are actually benefiting from that. You know they're not having to deal with price promotions, particularly at lesser quality brands. So what you see then is like you're alluding to, you do see somewhat weaker sales because there's not as much product, but the profitability in their sales is significantly higher as they're selling more full-priced items. All right, and here's the numbers from Street Account. People looking for revenue of $11.25 billion, gross margin 44.1%, operating margin 11%, $0.63 EPS, and options are looking for maybe a 7% move. So a final word to you on Nike, Brian, then I want to ask you about the rest of the space, but you still have a buy rating, a 195 price target? I, I do. Uh, and look, this is one of us. This is our top pick for us within our within our coverage universe. I think Nike's very well positioned, obviously a very fluid situation right now. But the, one of the big bets I'm making with Nike, um, you know, this is a company that's going to I think this will be a nice segue into what we're going to talk about next. But this is one of the companies I think will really emerge from the pandemic even stronger, even better positioned. All right. So let's pivot then talk about the DIY versus decorating trend. So Home Depot has still been doing quite well, but we're seeing names like Restoration Hardware starting to lag. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I, look, I'm going to sound somewhat like a broken record. I mean, it's clearly a very fluid situation, right? But I, as I talk to our clients, you know, I, and, and again, it's, it's, this might sound a little funny given today's market action, the sentiment around market, the market today. But clients are really looking, looking past the pandemic. And the question they're asking is, you know, how much of what we saw over the last, say, several quarters now was real? How much of it was purely pandemic? But who's really going to be the winners out when, as this pandemic eventually fades? And I think from that standpoint, you know, I just recently uh, I upgraded Home Depot. I've been positive on Lowe's for, for a while. We took price targets up on both names. I think the home improvement space, the structural underpinning, underpinnings of that sector are very good here. And they will continue to shine even as the pandemic, in this case, tailwinds, fade. And I think that's what you're starting to see in some of these stocks. Now, in the home fashion, there's some great players there, great companies. Some will merge better. But I think that that just doesn't have the structural underpinnings that home improvement does at this point. But for a name like RH, I would think they could benefit for years from people having bought houses, maybe second homes, and needing to fix them up in that discretionary trend that is also bolstering the likes of Home Depot and Lowe's, and yet their stock's down 30% in the past month. Yeah, look, that, and that's, that's absolutely true. The only, the only comment, I know RH has done a great job. Okay, they're, they're, the only comment I'd make there, you know, again, just comparing them to Home Depot and Lowe's, and maybe it's not as fair or easy comparison, but there's just a lot more competition within within that within that home fashion space. Again, RH, great job, and they've got a great look. Okay, but Home Depot and Lowe's really do a much, they're much more in control of that home improvement market. So to the extent that we see under, like I was saying, the underpinnings of home improvement strong, Home Depot and Lowe's will benefit from that. All right, we will leave it there, Brian. Great to have you on today. Thank you so much. Brian Nagel with Oppenheimer. Is Biden's spending bill a build back bust? The future of the bill and what it means for your portfolio. And remember, this show is also a podcast. You can find it wherever you listen to yours. And while you're there, be sure to check out Conversations with Kelly. In-depth chats I'm having with key players on hot topics. We just talked about nuclear fusion with Ralph Izzo yesterday. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Want to do a quick market flash here to show you shares of Rocket Companies. It's down more than 7% after announcing they're buying the personal finance app Truebill for $1.3 billion. They're hoping to build a bigger fintech ecosystem and boost recurring revenue. Rocket's had a tough year, down 30% despite the hot housing market. Now let's turn to the Biden administration's Build Back Better bill. It might be dead, as Democratic Senator Joe Manchin yesterday said he's unable to support it in its current form. I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. You're done. This is, this is a no. This is a no on this legislation. I have tried everything I know to do. And with that, Wall Street is reacting. Goldman marking down its GDP forecast for next year on the news. First quarter, they took to just 2% from 3% pri- uh, previously. Joining me now is Dan Clifton. He's head of policy research at Strategus Research Partners, a Baird company. Dan, it's great to have you back. Uh, is this bill definitely done for? Yeah, let's parse the language out pretty clearly. The bill that passed the House of Representatives in the month of November is now dead. That bill is very, very unlikely to come back. The big question that market participants are having today is that will the Democrats' leadership accede to the structure that Joe Manchin has been advocating for in a consistent manner since July? That means that if this bill is going to cost $1.8 trillion over 10 years, it has to cost $1.8 trillion over 10 years. It can't be a program for one year and another for three years and another five years. 
that equals $5 trillion over 10 years, disguised as $1.8 trillion over 10 years. And I think there was a great hesitancy all year, and in particular over the last couple of weeks, to accede to one Democratic senator. Now Democrats understand what the realities of a 50-50 Senate. One person sets the price. That person is Senator Manchin. And I do think that Democrats are going to try and figure out a way to make this bill a much smaller and more focused bill focused in three or four areas, most notably climate change, health care and the child tax credit. And you take all those other programs and they're just not getting through. Now, that's easier said than done. Right. There's a lot of constituencies that were looking forward to getting that money that are going to have to be told no. So I don't want to make it sound easier guaranteed. But that's the process the Democrats are going to have to go through over the next couple of months. And it's not going to be something that happens quickly. It reminds me a lot, Kelly, of the Affordable Care Act after Scott Brown won the Massachusetts Senate race. It took the Democrats 16 vote away. It took Speaker Pelosi about 10 weeks to come up with a way to pass a bill, even though they had lost the 16th vote in the Senate. Very similar to today. So maybe your message to those core sectors is the sell-offs today could be buying opportunities if they come back with something on that front. Although, again, this isn't so much, I think, about individual industries as it is about the impact to GDP. And there are plenty of economists saying we're going to get we had all this stimulus going into the economy the past couple of years. Now we've got very little coming in in 2022. You know, I do wonder about the impact of that. Kelly, we are facing the largest fiscal drag in 2022 since 1947 wow. related to the drawdown of World War II. We have just never seen something at 8% of GDP. So this helped plug some of that gap. It was about six tenths. So it got you a little bit of the way there. But we were going to have a fiscal drag no matter either way. But I think it's very important to know what's going to drive that stimulus in 22 that the economists are downgrading from. And that's the loss of the child tax credit, which will expire at the end of this year. My sense is there's enough political support if everything fails that they can come back and at least get another year out of the child tax credit. And I wouldn't be surprised if we got some Republican votes for that. So I think this is a bit of a knee jerk reaction. But the larger story today is that we're dealing with Omicron and the Fed tightening and more fiscal tightening. And that's created some anxiety for voters. Once the dust settles on this, once we get into next year, it will become a lot more clearer. So today's a bit of a knee jerk reaction in that front. But clearly what the Democrats were trying to do all year won't happen. And it will be a much more slimmed down version if something is to happen. I'm thinking about the combo humongous fiscal drag, biggest in post-war history. Plus, you have the Fed uh, aggressively tightening yep. now. I guess we could call it that, even though, you know, they, yeah. we're talking. Yeah. All relevant. So <laughs> can both of those things still happen next year? And we OK, oh, choppy economy, choppy markets, that's fine. But, you know, I just wonder if uh, if it's going to create more than choppiness. Excellent question. So in a non-inflationary environment, less fiscal policy means that Jay Powell will get some more flexibility on monetary policy. Maybe he doesn't have to raise three uh, interest rates three times next year, as the consensus expects. But the, the challenge here is that we're in an inflationary environment and the Fed is already behind the ball. And so that's why you're getting this choppiness and this volatility as markets try and figure out, does Omicron lead to more supply chain bottlenecks and higher inflation? And the Fed still has to raise, even though you're taking away that fiscal policy. That is a very different type of debate that we've had in this country for 40 years, and it's created some of the uncertainty around this. 
my sense is the Fed will work that out. Uh, I actually think it's going to be okay. Most of the hard work on this fiscal bill was done in October when we removed the tax increases in 2022, particularly on the corporate tax rate in the U.S. multinationals. Once we did that, we took out all the earnings into 2022. Now you're talking about passing a bill first, late first quarter, second quarter. Those tax increases on individuals are probably not going to be retroactive. And I believe that removing those tax increases Small businesses and individuals for 22 may be just as powerful as any of the stimulus you were going to get. So I think, hmm. the, the you know, the banks are probably overestimating the size of the GDP hit that's going to come from this. Don't underestimate the animal spirits if you tell small businesses their taxes aren't going to go up. That's a Their great, confidence great had already been lower at this point. Oh, yeah, they're dealing with so much. Dan, this is why I love having you on with very complex issues like this, uh, always pointing out and connecting some dots. Thanks for your time today. Great. Thank you, Kelly. Dan Clifton with Strategus. The NFL and the NBA postponed games. The NHL has halted games with Canada, and that's hitting this stock hard. It's down 3% today and 40% in two months. The name and the latest COVID measures on the sports front next. Welcome back, everybody. COVID's now wreaking havoc across professional sports. The NFL, the NBA, the NHL all dealing with surges in cases. Contessa Brewer has the latest and the fallout on the sports betting stocks, Contessa. Yeah, they're all down today. We can put those up for you, uh, Kelly, so that you can see them. But the latest on COVID surge, once again, it's just causing all of these major disruptions to pro sports. On Sunday, the NBA announced the postponement of five more games. The NHL postponed 12 games that involve U.S. teams playing Canada. They said, look, this is very fluid what federal travel restrictions will do across border. And then we saw the odds just going wacky heading into the weekend with the Browns versus Raiders flipping status as favorites because of Cleveland's COVID infections. Some sports books took these matchups off the board for a bit. And then the NFL postponed some games, reportedly relaxed the COVID testing rules for vaccinated players, less testing more players on the field. What's it all doing to the uncertainty to the sports books? Well, PointsBet, NBC's partner and its chief odds maker says, look, as odds makers, we're confident in our assessment of the value of individual players and how much they affect the line, as well as how multiple absences in a specific position group can impact a team. We've gotten used to this over the past 18 months. So really, this is just business as usual. The abnormal has become normal. But PointsBet says all this COVID disruption actually slightly increases the handle because some of its customers gamble more, believing the uncertainty gives them a bit of an edge. And Kelly MGM told me that while their handle for Sunday went down because there were a couple fewer games, what happens is their Thursday through Tuesday for week 14 will actually set a bet MGM record. Wow, especially, I mean, as things are shutting down, you know, that's what people are looking to do. It's kind of like the VIX, right? Higher volatility for options kind of makes it more valuable because you get more opportunities. As long as the games aren't outright canceled, because that throws everything in flux. And then the sports books have to go back and figure out how do our rules apply to Mm. the specific bets that were made? And when do we refund? When do we keep it? You know, it it becomes a big mess. All right. We'll see if we get to that point. Contessa, thank you so much, Contessa Brewer. That does it for The Exchange today, everybody. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day. Same time, same place. Sometimes it takes a different approach 
to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.